0: Good morning, church, and hello to those online. Welcome to you as well as we uh, get into this sermon series again. Well, we are uh, in a sermon series called Fellowship, and uh, we introduced that last week and took some time to really start with the idea of fellowship and how important it is and really uh, how from the very get-go of creation, fellowship is really almost there from the get-go and that not only how God wanted to take time to actually spend time with the creation, but in that creation of the Sabbath day, how the Israelites from the very get-go understood what it meant to worship on a Sunday, or on a Saturday for them. And on that day of being holy, not only was it a day of worship, but it was a day of spinning and doing no work, which of course, what do you do before electronics? And you have your tablets, you eat with your family and hang out with your friends, and the fellowship was built into once a week, you were connected to your community and all, all the ways of, that were life-filling and joyous and the 30 things that we crave. That fellowship was always there. And this week, we're going to be stepping in and looking at what I call this sermon series. It's subtitled for today, The Wonder Years. That's right. Now, some of you know exactly where I'm going with the introduction of this, is that The Wonder Years was a TV show for all you youngsters and all you uh, people who made it like the TV in the late 1980s, early 1990s. There was a show called The Wonder Years. Now, how many people remember The Wonder Years, right? Now, of course... That's right. <laughs> almost everybody, for those online, almost everybody raised their hand uh, here today at The Wonder Years. And of course, the main actor in it, do you remember his name? Fred Savage, right? I don't know why, but Fred Savage, I've always remembered his name. Uh, and quite honestly, even though you The know, Wonder Years itself was a great show, I remember Fred Savage more so in The Princess Bride, because he had an awesome role, His most fantastic role he ever had was in that movie, I just thought I'd give a shout out to that movie. But of course, you remember in the, what this whole storyline, plotline of The Wonder Years was, was Fred Savage was played a, a man, that is, a little boy named Kevin Arnold, who was kind of going through those weird, angsty teenage bopper years, right, where you're becoming who you are, and you're trying to figure life out, and he and his, you know, quirky friend, and, you know, go through life experimenting and doing all these different things, and, you know, it's a, it's a time of just endearment, of looking back and remembering how simple life was for them, and the things that were going to, and before life got really difficult, it also was that that innocent, how go into all these situations so innocent and you're changed by them. And I didn't, you know, wasn't a biggest, huge, avid Wonder Years fan, so I didn't keep up with it. But I understand it went on for six ye- uh, seasons and they kind of went through that course of how you grow up and you kind of lose some of that innocence and some of that endearment and looking back on those Wonder Years of, of all that. Of course, there was Winnie, and uh, yours truly may have had a crush on Winnie even though I was pretty young. Um, so anyways, Winnie and I weren't meant to be, it's okay. but. Uh, <laughs> Neither I don't I don't know if it was for uh, the Kevin Arnold in the show either, but but uh, and, you know of course the crush was Winnie and they had to go on and find Winnie and all these different things and all that stuff, and I think back on that in those wonder years of, of that idea right of, of thinking back on how life changed right you go from this innocent kid of just going through the world, and then life keeps coming at you you learn a whole bunch more and all of a sudden life is no longer more innocent and all those times in life where all of a sudden you're faced with just bad choices and. There's no innocence before you. You can only choose between which is the worst choice and not choosing that one and choosing the other choice. Or even those times where there's all sorts of good options in front of you and you have to choose the best one knowing that you're closing the door to so many others. And just that life that we all go through, right? How we grow up and and learn and become more wise and all those different things. I think that's a lot of what we see here today in Scripture. For me, as you look at this beginning of the church, this is the beginning of the book of Acts, which again is right after Jesus has ascended to heaven. You know, all the disciples and all the Christians are just hanging out and and wondering what to do next. And Jesus says, wait, and so they wait, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Of course, right before this, Peter has just gone up and given the sermon where everybody has heard it in the the area, and everybody's, uh, people are giving their lives to Christ, and all of a sudden they're part of this fellowship of believers. And this is the very beginning of that. It's Acts chapter 2, 42 that we just read. It's the very beginning of the story of the church, right after Pentecost, and what it looked like. It's kind of like, what I would say, the wonder years of the church. Now, I want to explain that what I mean by that in just a few different ways, but not only is this the beginning of the church, that this is sort of the gold standard, if you will. This is the image of true fellowship, of, of the fellowship at the highest example that you can possibly have was right at the beginning here, right at the the very start of the church. Now, before we look into kind of what were the aspects of it, I wanted to offer a word of caution because uh, in my seminary career, of course, I've read all sorts of people and um, there's all sorts of people that would take this passage and say, this is what a church has to be, right? And they list these aspects of it and talk about it and say how a church needs to do these things. And if you start looking at what some of these aspects, you start realizing that man, Some of this is hard to live up to, right? And some of it can kind of be gullible if you live in the wrong situation at the wrong time and you can just get taken, right? And in fact, if you look at this, it's kind of interesting because even though this is the image of true fellowship, I think it's best understood, less as the formula that you have to have in order, you know, if you don't have these things, you're not a true church kind of deal or what you need to yearn for. It's something to aspire to, yes, but it's best understood as the work of God. In other words, these people are living so crazy and so anti-against the world, so, so differently, that it can be nothing but the very work of God in their hearts, right? This is almost something that, just like miracles, you and I can't manufacture it. You and I can't, we can strive kind of to some degree, but ultimately, if we do it on our own volition, bad things come of it. It's only God that can do this work. And so I think it's best understood that. And so I would just offer a word of warning, because before we get ready for it, before we can really jump in and just do the things that we do. God has to work on all of our lives. And the other warning I have is this, is that if you look even in the book of Acts itself, but for sure even when you look at the rest of the New Testament, the church doesn't stay like this very long. In other words, this appears to be this great outpouring of the Spirit and this church is doing things that no one else would have ever thought of doing and and what what they're acting like and being. But when you get just a little bit beyond that, you see that the church starts having disagreements. Imagine that, right? The church starts having different ways of seeing things. The church starts having people try to do things that aren't healthy for the church, that are kind of selfish. People start doing things and acting inappropriately with the way that is the way Jesus has taught us to live. And in fact, basically, you can argue that every single letter we have of the New Testament was written because something was going wrong in a church, right? that they were trying to address and bring back and try to understand what we're supposed to be doing. And so in some ways, God used the faultiness of even those early churches and as people try to understand what it meant to follow Jesus Christ and to be the people of God together, even in their failings, God used for our good because we have those letters here today, don't we? And they speak to us even now and, and you know, mold us and mold our souls. And there's this tension that's always in Scripture, but especially I would say with this passage that we live... And the in-between times. And what I mean by that is the kingdom of God is both here, right now, Jesus has ushered it in, and it's yet to come. And so part of the hard part of being Christian is understanding that dynamic of the kingdom of God is here and we have to respond to it and live like it, but also understanding it's not quite fully ushered in yet. And so there's this act of wisdom that you have to live in, in this tension between a world that's being redeemed, but not quite there yet. And so you're preparing for what is to come, but meanwhile being very smart and wise and yet innocent, even in the world that's here and now. And we're going to be looking at that as we go. So we must be wise, yet we must also be transformed and be continually transformed at the same time. It's a get with the program, but understand the program isn't finished yet, right? And so there's this this tension that we all have to live in as we read through these. Well... First thing that we see in this teaching that we read here today in in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42 through 47, is this. Is this early church, this this being of what true fellowship should be, the highest attaining that we can attain here on earth, looks like these things. It looks like, first of all, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we preached on that uh, earlier this past year, but I just want to remind ourselves that you can't be a church without the apostles' teaching. In fact, we've looked at the nature of the church. We spent a whole sermon series on it. Remember, there were four things, and one of the four things was, you got to be apostolic, right? Like, a church actually has to hold the teachings of what the apostles taught from the very teachings of Jesus himself. And so the very church that was worldwide at that time is the very story of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his teachings, and not only that, but the gift of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of all Scripture, has to be part of what true fellowship is like. And in fact, every week, uh, or every, well, at least once a month, every time that we come to service, we say the Apostles' Creed. Because in our church, the Apostles' teaching is alive and well, is it not? You can say amen to that, everybody. It's okay to amen this part, right? It's okay. But we could say that the Apostles' teaching is still alive, and we do our best, and yes, we fall short, I'm sure, but we also do our best to not look at what we want God to be, or what we desire God to be or what just kind of spurns out in us, we're truly open to the idea that God's speaking to you and I. And that this story of who Christ is is the very story of all of our lives that we're all wrapped up in it and it's all crucially on him and his death and his resurrection. The forgiveness of sins is offered freely and the idea that we can be made anew and once again become children, very children of the living God through the very redemptive act of Jesus Christ is here and well. Church has to have that for true fellowship. Is there's anything else, if it doesn't have that, it can be fellowship, but it can't be Jesus-centered fellowship, can it? You can have a nice little group meeting. You can have a social club. You can have all sorts of things. But if you don't have that, if we're not all ships, as if you will, on an image of ships going together and going on a great journey together for a destination, that destination is Jesus. That destination is becoming Christ-like. That destination is heaven as Christ has revealed it to us. Is the very essence of good fellowship. Not only this, it says this, not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, which is what we're talking about, but also that fellowship had only the apostles' teaching. It had the breaking of bread. Now, I hate to do it this early in the sermon because I know it's going to make you hungry, but we got to talk about some food, people, right? Because the church loves food. And in fact, if you thought this was a new thing and just American thing, that we have potlucks and stuff like that, no, 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 no. Get back to your roots. The people of God have eaten together time beyond time, right? It goes even back before Jesus came to this earth. It goes back to the Israelites, and we talked about that day of coming together on the Sabbath and eating together. But I want to just stop and mention here just a couple of things. Is, is first of all, think about how great of a gift hospitality is. That's what you think about someone who's ever invited you into their home. What did it feel like for someone to be vulnerable enough to let you Come into their house, right? You can see if do they dust or not, right? You know, right? Right? And and whether or not they're ashamed of that or not, but they invite you in and you can come in and, and they, they cook a meal and hopefully you like it, right? They don't know if you like it or not. They're cooking a meal and and they present it to you and, and they break bread with you and, and, and fellowship with you. And the idea that someone will be so vulnerable enough to say, Hey, come to my house, eat with me, sit at my table. Drink the drinks that I'm serving. Eat the food that I've cooked with my own hands. Be with me. It's such a great gift. And that's what the early church did together every single day. Fellowship was the idea that, hey, we're not only going to live life together, not only have a goal together, not only follow Christ together, we're going to eat together. And that very act of being vulnerable before each other was there at the very beginning. I remember when I was in seminary, I had many different experiences. I've told you many of those with food. But... One that I haven't ever told you before was uh, I went to a small church out in Kentucky. Now I say out in Kentucky because I mean that, out in (laughs) Kentucky, right? As in it didn't have, uh, it had lights, it did not have running water, it had an outhouse, right? And as far as I know, it was the only church at the time uh, east of the Mississippi that had an outhouse and a website at the same time. But anyways, (laughs) it was uh, run by some of the pastor, or some of the pastors of it were actually uh, two professors and it was one of these churches that was just gonna close down, in fact, um, if you go out there, one of the sites to see in Kentucky, that part of Kentucky, is Shakertown, if you ever heard of Shakertown, right? All right, this was down the road, I would say street, if you could call it that, a road to Shakertown, right? That's where you can picture this out if you've ever been there and seen that. But it's in the middle of nowhere. and uh, and I would go and be with, you know, we'd go and see these people, and it was the craziest church ever because you had all these people from Zimbabwe. And so you'd be singing Shona songs in one minute. And then the next minute, you had like, people from all over the world. It was, it was in the middle of nowhere Kentucky. It was just the oddest thing ever. And, um, but I remember one of the people that went there, that church there, was just a, a little bit older than I was. He was probably in his you know, now 40s. Uh, at the time, I was in my 20s. And he just invited all us young whippersnappers that were coming to the church over to his house, right? And um, he was a single guy. He'd never gotten married. He lived sort of, they had a kind of a family a farm, if you will, And so we all just went over, and he made turkey sandwiches. right? And I'm talking not even like the artesian bread. I'm talking like just white bread. I mean, just straight, like, (laughs) Kraft cheese on a slice with some lettuce, tomato, and the turkey. You know what I'm saying? Like Nothing out of the ordinary. And some chips that were just out of a bag. I mean, we're not talking rocket science, right? But I remember how moving an experience it was for this man who, you know, I have to assume that uh, I'm going to just speak him, I, did, I can't verify that he ever said this, but you know, I can imagine that, you know, being of his age in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, you know, not married, not having children, half the times feel lonely, you know, to some degree, even though he's around his family, but coming to his house to offer that hospitality was so moving because here was a man opening his life up to us. All of us seminary students trying to figure out what this whole ministry thing was about was be having ministry. Showing to us right then and there of how simple it can be, how life giving it can be to just file up someone and say, Hey, come be part of my life. Come into my house. Come eat with me. Hey, eat my turkey sandwiches, right? And how amazing that little gift was. I still remember to this day being moved by, that, by those times spent at his house. Well, not only this, did they break bread together, um, I just want to mention that uh, Monday, Thursday is going to be coming up at some point. Um, I'll go ahead and announce it even though we're still trying to plan if we can actually pull this off or not. <laughs> but We've got to do it now if I announce it. But uh, we're going to do something different. A lot of times on Monday Thursdays we do uh, an acting of the a, of a, of a Monday Thursday drama, if you will. This year I want us to do a Seder meal. We're going to do a Seder meal. We're going to try to pull this off, and we'll see how well we do. I don't know, but we're going to pull a Seder meal down the Fellowship Hall. We'll take reservations, all that good stuff, and get some head counts and all that. But we're going to actually eat together the meal the Israelites ate. And we're going to have some conversation about that, about the way they ate it and the way Jesus took that meal and the very symbols that he used when we take communion, how he reinterpreted those, leaning in on that, that meaning that existed even before he came to this earth, but how he took it and added extra depths to it. That's all I can say. And uh, so we're going to spend some time. So anyways, you're going to eat together in the coming days. I should also mention that uh, meeting with some of our church members on uh, Tuesday, we're going to be talking about some fellowship events coming up. So. Again, I've been warning you to dust off your, you know, your crock pots and things like that. If you haven't done it, you've been fair warned. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you at this point, but uh, get it ready. Because we're going to have some good times together. The third thing it says right there in that scripture that was very identifying to him was they spent time in prayer. Now, we have a prayer team. We pray on every Sunday. We spend time. We are a great praying church. But I want to challenge us that oftentimes in Christian tradition, people just got together to pray. And I haven't, I don't think necessarily, unless that happens sort of outside in our share groups, I know that, but I just want to challenge us that uh, maybe we could be a church to just set some prayer meetings. Just come and pray together. It'd be amazing. You know what? The revival down in Asbury, I was talking with somebody this week, and they were saying, uh, they went down there and they were just saying, hey, you know, as much as people talk about revival, it was great and amazing, but like there was nothing crazy about it. It was just like a normal worship service. Except the music wasn't as good, because it was a bunch of people just coming in and just singing, right? <laughs> so, but they had this, this time together and they were worshiping together, but he was very moved. He told me, eyewitness, he said, you know what? What really moved me the most was, I got there, you know, the service was starting, or that evening service was starting about 7 p.m. and I got there about six to get a seat. He said that there were all these old ladies, like retired age kind of ladies that were there, and up at the front praying for students, right? But I hope I didn't fit anybody. I didn't mean to by that. I'm sorry. I'm sensing the laughter. I didn't even, when I said it, I didn't even, I didn't even, but anyways. No turkey sandwich for your pastor. Your pastor just blew it. I'm sorry. I'm just going to dig a hole. <clears throat> anyways, there were some ladies of, yes, great age, and and uh, they were praying for the uh, uh, students that were there in the course. They are doing these things, and um, they were there at six before he got there. They were already praying. The service was kept going on, even though they can't. They said, hey, come back at seven o'clock. You know, we're going to take a lunch break or dinner break or whatever. People stayed and, you know, kept going to worship anyways. And uh, so they're down there praying. And he said, you know, he, they did the service. He stick around even long after that praying. And, and they were worshiping and do all these things. He said, it was 10 p.m. He's like, I got to go, man. Like, it's time for me to leave. Like, I got to go get a break and take a nap. So he left. He said those ladies were still down at the front praying for the students that were coming up, that God was doing something in their life and they needed somebody to pray with and talk to. It's just don't underestimate the power of prayer, especially power of prayer together. Remember, John Wesley's heart was changed at essentially what was a prayer meeting where they were just reading some of Martin Luther's preface to the Romans before they prayed. And his life totally changed from that. I would challenge us to have some prayer meetings in the future. Let's have some. Let's get together. Let's be a praying church, just like the early church was. Not only in our own life and in our own closets, if you will, as Jesus taught us, but also as we see in the early church, they prayed and prayed together and do it in a valiant way. Now, of course, what happens with those things? You have those four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayer. And all those three, four things go together in this early church. And what happens is we see there are signs and wonders. The people are in awe. We see that they held everything in common. They they were so moved by God. They sold all they had. They gave to each other as need. They they loved being together, and they, they spent time in the temple courts. And it says that they kept adding to their number. That they would go into their homes together and eat together and broke bread. I love this word, with glad and sincere hearts. I just want to challenge you. Our world does not teach glad and sincere hearts. It teaches complaining and sarcasm. Which one fills your house at your table? We all yearn for it. We all know which one we want. We all know which one we want for our neighbors and for our community and for the kids that go to our schools and their families at home. We know which one we want. But it's got to start with us in our tables where we eat together. God did amazing things. And again, I warn him that even though God, and this is what we're trying to yearn for and that we're trying to move towards, and one day when we're in heaven, you know, we're going to be ready for it. But at the same time, we have to be wise because, you know, if all of us took everything we owned and we sold it, Started using it with each other, there would be someone come along and take advantage of us, wouldn't there? Right? Without God protecting us and doing like he did this early church. There's a way of being transformed, but also not being gullible, a way of being wise, knowing that this stuff doesn't belong to us. We're willing to use it for the kingdom of God, but also understanding we're the stewards of it. We can't just let it go into the wrong hands. it be used against God's purposes. And so I, again, I warn that best to see this, it's the very outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the very gift of God, the image of what we're trying to attain, but something that we don't manufacture ourselves, it's got to be God's work, at God's time, for you and for I. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for this gift of thinking about this early church and what a movement it must have been. That people across the world were there that day, hearing in their own language the Holy Spirit speak among the disciples, and that Peter got up and gave that message, and the people were moved that this early church had fellowship in such a brilliant way, a truly earth-defying way, one that's not of this world, but truly of the Spirit. Guys, we're here today, we recognize that we can't manufacture that ourselves. It's only something you can do in our life. But at the same time, Lord, we use whatever, whatever gifts, whatever graces that we have to move toward such a vision of your church. And so God, give us all the graces that we can. Pour out your mercy on us, that each and every day, it could become just a little bit more like that gold standard. And that, God, this world would be changed. This very community would see a people that's so different than this world. That they'd be moved about a people that have glad and sincere hearts, that break bread with one another, that pray together, that teach the apostles' teaching and take great joy in it. That, God, you'd be glorified in such things. We pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.